Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. It's about time, because we're going there. Well, well, well. Friends, it's another episode of We're Going There. And I'll let you know right from the start, oh, honey, it's a mature conversation. So if you have sensitive ears in the room or in the car, wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you put on some headphones because we're going there. I'm your host, Bianca Wattis-Oltoff, and I'm so glad you tuned in. Did you hear what I did there? I said, host. It's like friend and host. Do you love it? Can we make it a thing? Can we? Can we please? Okay, well, today on the podcast, we are talking not only to one, but two amazing guests, and we are going to unpack the topic of pornography. Now, uh, before you tune out or tune off because porn ain't your issue uh, that you wrestle with or that you think about, I want you to do me a favor. Will you stay tuned? Because although you might not wrestle with it, someone you love, whether a friend or a family member, most likely does. And no, let's not get all judgy and think of that one friend who everybody knows needs Jesus and they also need a new wardrobe because their outfits are showing all their God-givens. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people inside and outside of the church. I'm even talking about saved, sanctified saints who follow Jesus and are struggling in this conversation. And so I want us to provide clarity and language around what it means to struggle with the issue of pornography. Amanda Carpenter is an author and speaks about healthy souls. And Matt Drugit is a coach who helps men break ties with their porn addictions. In fact, I found Matt online, on IG, in fact, and I saw the great work that he was doing to help men break free from the shame and addiction to pornography. And I trusted him so much, we invited him to our home church, the Father's House Orange County, as a guest speaker to talk about this very issue with our church family. I'm passionate about this topic because I worked for an anti-human trafficking organization for six years, and two out of those six years, I worked on researching the effects of pornography as linked to human trafficking. Now, that is not what we're going to be talking about today, but because of my research, I know how pervasive this issue is, not just outside, but inside the church as well. Simply stated, pornography is a term that describes sexual material. Now, most pornography nowadays is viewed via the internet, but it can also be found in magazines and movies and in books. Now, porn can take many different forms on the internet. In fact, it's one of the largest industries on the planet. With the porn industry bringing in around $5 billion a year, some resources report that it might actually have a bigger influence on the American economy than Netflix. So let's pause as purveyors of culture and ask yourself why. Why is porn so pervasive? Why is it everywhere? Well, let's take a look at a cultural context for the last 50 years. Number one, our generation is less and less prone to call pornography wrong. In fact, 22% of young adults say that pornography is actually good for society. Number two, it's so easily accessible. Pornography back in the day were like found in CD magazines and bathrooms or under mattresses. And if you wanted to go see something pornographic via film, you had to go into the backside of a video store or into an adult-only location. Now, because of technology, you can have pornography in your hands through a smartphone in nanoseconds. And third, what brain research has showed us repeatedly is that the same part of the brain that is stimulated with the drug use of, let's say, cocaine, is the same part of the brain that's stimulated by pornography. 
According to JAMA Psychiatry, researchers believe that pornography's intense stimulation of the brain brings about significant changes to the brain similar to that of drug addiction. The article went on to say that brain activity in sex addiction mirrors that of drug addiction. And before you think that this is a male issue, take note. Yes, roughly 60% of men between the ages of 18 to 30 use porn on a monthly basis, but women are close behind at 40% of monthly usage. Now, this conversation isn't meant to bring shame. It's meant to shine a light. Yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and I have my own biblical views of pornography, but I am not coming at this topic as a Christian. In fact, as someone who has been steeped in the topic for a number of years and researched it heavily, the effects of pornography are damaging not just to our soul, not just to our psyche, not just to our brain, but to our relationships. What might seem fun and titillating now will have a lifetime of lasting images and effects. Let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation and let's get started. Amanda and Matt, thank you guys both for being on the show. I'm so excited to dive into this topic. Thank you for having me. Oh, and having three people on the podcast, it's already, it's already working. We're already talking over each other. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll figure it out maybe by the end. But uh, I'm also really excited to be here. Thanks for having us. So the topic at hand um, in the introduction, I gave a little bit of like an overview of the effects of pornography, both inside and outside the church, both with men and women. But now I really want to parse this out and get into the nuances with a man and a woman. You guys are going to share so vulnerably and honestly. And I just want to say thank you for being on the show And um, I want our listeners to get a little bit more. You guys aren't just like talking heads. You guys aren't pontificating off like statistics, but this is something that has affected your life. And a lot of what you've gone through has played a role in what you're doing now. And so I want to talk a little bit about the struggle, the struggle of pornography. So um, Amanda, if you don't mind giving like a quick brief overview of like when did the struggle with pornography happen and what kind of like brought it to light? And then Matt, if you can go right after I... I'd love it. Yeah, I love this question because my specific struggle isn't exactly pornography, but pornography has very much to do with it. So I would say that I have an addiction or I'm in recovery for an addiction to affirmation from men. And not to give it all away, I know we're going to have a whole conversation, but what I'll say is the reality is I wasn't conscious of this addiction until one day I hit rock bottom. I committed what I thought was the unforgivable sin of infidelity. I stepped out of, outside of my marriage. And um, so we're going to talk about how that relates to this conversation about pornography, because even though for me, it's not necessarily images that that do it for me, like that I struggle with, there's sin that that has a hold on me that I have had to navigate and find mm. healing from. And, and then there's kind of the other side of the coin is, learning how to have such a radically honest and open, transparent relationship with my husband so that he can actually come forward when he's struggling with pornography. And he would not mind if I share that here. So I just want to say like, we kind of have two sort of angles that we come at this conversation from in my household. But I'll let Matt speak. No, first of all, Amanda, I just want to honor your transparency and vulnerability there. That's absolutely huge. And I'd fully agree with what you're saying. Like you could say, hey, it's affirmation, but there's so many other links and connections. I think we love to see the black and white, uh, but when we see something that's so much more fluid and that's relational based, it can only be solved through relationship, kind of the way Jesus walked life when he was on the earth. You actually got to get to know someone's face and story and name before just trying to throw a prescription to them. Like, this is what you have to do, right? And so for myself as the example, um, I definitely struggled with pornography as a teenager when I came to know Jesus. I got crafty. 
I ended up in, and Bianca and I have had this conversation before, I essentially massaged my coping mechanism of pornography into performance-based ministry. And so I did a lot of evangelism, a lot of ministry, a lot of missions, a lot of overt, like trying to look good on the outside of the cup. And where it really hit home for me is after that coping mechanism, which is what I would essentially call pornography, it would be a crutch, a coping mechanism, a bandaid over a bullet wound for trying to cover up and conceal and not deal with unwanted thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I ended up working with men to help them become emotionally healthy. And along the way, I would get ghosted from men that I was working with because I didn't know why until they said, oh, you know, I fell again. I was like, well, what do you mean you fell again? Because it had been probably eight years for myself since I had a struggle with pornography specifically. And they said, oh, you know, I looked at porn again. And so I ended up trying to wage war against porn and say, hey, let's deal with this. Let's get that gone and good so we can focus on what matters, leaving a life of impact, of legacy, of healthy relationships, family, um, and walking like with a vibrant connection to Jesus. So in a nutshell, that's kind of where I'm coming at this conversation from. I love it. So I want to go back to probably when you guys were aware or made aware of some I, triggers is such like a very popular word right now. So I hate saying it, but were you guys aware or what triggered, what incited, what started uh, for you, Manda, this, this desire and need for attention and affirmation. And then Matt, the, the lust, the desire to view images, like were there triggers? Did it start somewhere? Were you exposed to something? Matt, will you go first and then Manda weigh in on your perspective? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I think speaking as a white male who I would say grew up kind of in and out of the church and struggled with a lot of insecurities. I would say porn doesn't discriminate against anybody. It's subtle promise is that it will want you. It needs you. It will love you. And it'll always be there for you no matter what. So you find an insecure man, woman, boy, girl, any age really, who is finding themselves in a vulnerable state, then they are going to find themselves at the whim and at the hem of a lot of choices in that vulnerability that they can actually kind of be manipulated against. And so, of course, we could talk about like, it's very socially acceptable. You know, I think there's a, a book, I can't remember the author off the top of my head called Every Man's Battle. Amanda might know or somebody might know it better than me. I'm talking about that. And I'm like, I wanted to understand why it's not every man's victory, first of all. Why does it just have to be all of our battles? But first and foremost, speaking for myself, oh, dude, absolutely insecure, zero confidence. I didn't like me. And when I commonly say that when we feel worthless, we will make choices that, that are a reflection thereof. So when you feel worthless, you will make choices that are worth less. And that's exactly what I did is I made choices and decisions with my identity at the time. It's always going to come from your emotional state. So when you're doing amazing and you're on top of life, you're not going to think about sabotaging everything, right? It's when you're down, you're feeling discouraged, you're frustrated, you're feeling not wanted, you're we could say, yeah, triggered because you feel like rejection or abandonment. You're going to want to go to the quickest, fastest way of meeting your God given human needs. Yeah. And studies have shown pornography just checks the box so well. It hits the marker for so many of the human needs that we have for comfort, right? For something like security based. It hits the, you know, the need for spontaneity, something different. You don't know what you're going to get when you get go there. You feel significant because you feel like someone could want to show you what they look like in that vulnerable state for them and where you're at emotionally. They'll never reject you. They don't need to know your name. So it ends up becoming a form of relationship you can control. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge piece there. I'm going to say for myself, I was so scared of relationships 
because I grew up in a really messy house. Like all of us did, welcome to the human club. <laughs> and there's a lot of dysfunction that went on, right? Not nothing against mom or dad or any other parents that were involved. It's just how things go. Sometimes we're always looking to do better and learn and grow and evolve. You know, I'd say more into the image of Jesus and what he created us to be. But for myself, relationships were scary. They were messy. And so if I could find a way to try to get as close as I possibly could to another human being while having all of my guards up, I don't have to risk anything. I don't actually ever have to risk uh, pain coming towards me. Then you can start to see how it becomes an absolute no brainer and the people will get hooked on something mm. like that. But Amanda, I'm genuinely curious. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love and echo everything you just said. And again, even though for me, it's not pornography in the same concept that you're describing, my struggle, the sin that I was so entangled with at one point in time, it's it's the same track that you just described. It's it's not just what you see on the surface. There's a deeper issue. And, and Bianca, I love the question that you asked because I always say there isn't a single person we wouldn't love if we knew their story. And so when people meet me or they maybe just have heard, oh, that's the girl who had an affair, and that they don't take into consideration my story. They don't get to know me. They don't look beyond that. They reduce me to the sum of one mistake. It's really sad. I mean, obviously it hurts my feelings, but beyond that, I think it's a really dangerous thing. And as Christ followers, I think we need to be doing better than that. And so just to kind of walk you through a little bit of my journey, no one wakes up one day and says, I think today I'm going to have an affair. Or today, I think I'm going to look at porn. Nobody like wakes up one day and makes a conscious decision to do those things. Or today, I'm going to steal money from my company. Or I'm going to drive drunk. Like We do not make these decisions. We don't make these mistakes. We don't sin in these ways just because one day we wake up and think that sounds good. These things happen when little by little over time, sin creeps in and we aren't conscious of our shadow side and we aren't willing to open up to people and be vulnerable and share our struggles. And so uh, what happens is, secrecy keeps us in shame, right? Secrecy is breeding grounds for shame. And so what happened in my journey is that uh, it wasn't like this was a new thing when I got married. When I looked back and I went to counseling and retraced all of my steps, which was so helpful and I highly recommend, it was so evident to see that this addiction to affirmation from men and, and needing that, it stemmed back to my childhood. And that was not a way to justify my mistake. It didn't excuse my mistake. It didn't mean there weren't consequences for that mistake, but it helped make sense of it. And I think by going all the way back to the root, I was able to experience real healing. And that's why I always say, radical honesty leads to real healing. When you say out loud the things that tempt you, when you tell a friend or God or a pastor or your spouse, the very thing that is tempting you or that you're struggling with, when you say it out loud, it loses its power. But my gosh, it is so hard to say these things out loud. Nobody wants to say, hey, hey, honey, I, I looked at porn again. I mean, that is like, oh, there's so much shame, but I, I believe that these conversations are necessary because in the book of James, James chapter five specifically, it says, confess your sins to each other and you will be healed. Like it's right there. Yeah. We have to start opening up. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. And then the church, I think we, we need to do a better job equipping people to both make confessions, but also to receive that. Like when you're on the other side of someone and they open up to you, about something they've done or an image they've looked at or a, a sin that they're um, struggling with, we have to respond with grace because the last thing that we want to do is respond in a way that makes them feel more ashamed and then they go right back into hiding. And you cannot heal what you're hiding. It's not possible. This is beautiful. I love both of these perspectives. And I think that there might be somebody out there who, like myself, hasn't wrestled with 
either or re- I, I, either of what you guys have had to go through and become victorious in. So kudos to you. But I don't want us to be anesthetized and numb to the struggle that so many people are facing right now. And so, Matt, you and I have had conversations about this. I heard you talk about kind of like the why in our behavior. So help us, and, and you do such a great job at not bringing shame into the conversation. And I think that so many times, every time we talk about shame, it's just like, thus saith the Lord, your eyes are going to burn, you know? And it just feels like really, really like this cosmic, mean, old guy in, 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 in heaven that's just trying to condemn us and have us not have fun. But I don't want to bring shame to the conversation. I want to bring light to have us understand. So this is a personal question. And in a short form as possible, will you take us on the journey, Manda, when you talk about this desire for affirmation, this desire for acknowledgement from the opposite sex. What what did you feel? What what drew you? How did it make you feel internally? And Matt, for somebody who doesn't understand uh, like the the issue of porn and why people continue to go back, what what did it make you feel before, during, and after? when you would have these encounters, whether through pornography or whether through the male gaze, if we can use the sociologist term from Bell Hooks. But Manda, what did you feel before, during, after those moments where you were getting that affirmation or attention from guys? Yeah. What I would just say is that it's it's like anything that you are addicted to. You're, you're trying to fill a void, a void that only Jesus can fill. And I don't say that flippantly. Like, I mean that wholeheartedly. So for me, trying to feel loved, what I did was I confused desire for love. Mm. I was, they weren't loving me. That wasn't love. I was, I was confused. And it, it took me down this destructive path because the more I craved their attention and their affirmation, the more I altered parts of myself to, to be what I thought they wanted me to be, which is one, a horrible way to live. It's such an inauthentic way to live. But also it's destructive because when you find fulfillment in other people the way I was, my goodness, the minute that they aren't fulfilling you, you're off to the next person. And that's exactly what happened. Again, that sin was not new in my marriage. My husband didn't do anything wrong. It was not a lack of anything from him. But if he wasn't on his A game at all times, fulfilling me and keeping me happy, which let's be honest, no one can do, that should not be a reason for me to step outside of my marriage. But I was in a habitual sin cycle of looking for someone to tell me I was beautiful and I was loved. And I was trying to fill a void that unfortunately a lot of childhood wounds had caused me to have. And what I later realized was that I will be in a vicious cycle for the rest of my life, continuing to sin and continuing to make mistakes, continuing to find fulfillment in other people. And it is going to continue to ruin my life unless I heal. And so I'll just quickly say that on the other side of all of that, the feeling I have now is number one, I think it puts so much less pressure on myself and other people in a relationship when we can have a relationship where there aren't strings attached. There is no expectation of someone to be perfect or to keep me happy. And the same is true for myself. It is freeing. It is hopeful. It has been just such a grace-filled journey. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think, Matt. I mean, you could have said you stole all the words right out of my mouth. I'll probably just be throwing a couple of building blocks to it. Something that's really key on why it doesn't, I can talk about this and see, I'll just back up one moment here because when we were talking about, Hey, like, honey, I struggle with porn. And then you feel all this shame. We don't feel shame because we said, I struggle with porn. We feel the shame because of the meaning that we give that statement that says, if I let somebody know I did something bad, love will be withheld from me. 
It's not because we come clean. It says in the Bible, right? And James said, confess your sins that you may be healed. But what happens to the people who have experiences of confessing and actually receiving rejection Oof. or actually receiving, trying to be fixed? So then there's not healing. See, because the nature of confession was always meant to be coupled with love. Because what happens for a child in their vulnerability, and this is where I'll kind of come full circle to my side, is that every single one of us somewhere along the way got the message that you and I were not enough. Somehow, some way, subconsciously, subliminally, it could have been, you know, anything. It could be overt and it could look really big. It could be covert. It could be really, honestly, like we are very creative because as children, I say this in the nicest way possible because I have little kids. We are like narcissists. We are craving everything to come internally to figure out our God-given identity, which is actually very beautiful and profound. So like a child would, anything that happens in the home, they take as a reflection of them. They take as a reflection of their identity, their behavior, them being a good boy, them being a good girl or a bad boy and a bad girl. So what ends up happening, and I think Manda shared this so eloquently and, and great, is that when we are struggling internally, we will often, most always, go outside of ourselves in order to try to find that remedy, in order to try to find that healing, that wholeness, that fill. I know you said, you know, maybe an affair, it could be affirmation, it could be drinking, it could be social media, it could be porn, is trying to fill a void. I also like to say that maybe instead of filling a void, it's to numb a void that we don't Mm. want to deal with. And so it ends up happening in this moment as we find ourselves trying to either fill voids or numb voids. Even for me, I'm going to be transparent. I struggled with the idea of saying, I need to find God. And I know that's like the right Christian answer. Like it's in Jesus, the healings in Jesus. But I still saw Jesus as some dude out up in the clouds, in the sky, distant from me. And what I love to tell people now is that the answer you are searching for is never outside of yourself. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying we are our our own savior or gospel narrative. What I am saying is it's the Christ in you that you have not yet gotten to know that wants to set you free. Because when I would be crying out to God, I would be doing it like he's, you know, 15 million billion galaxies away and so far removed from me, which is what I felt as a kid from both of my parents, love my parents, but that's what I felt. So it didn't help. So when I help people see or get to showcase this idea here with so much compassion, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work to try to find it outside of you because the answer is within because Jesus wanted to take residence up inside of you so that you and him got so enmeshed that you didn't know where water and oil separated, that the two became one. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I think that journey of Amanda going on like emotional healing from wounds from her past, from her childhood is her beginning to see her childhood, not through the lens view of rejection and abandonment anymore. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth there, Amanda. Tell me if I'm No, wrong. you're, you're but, accurate. And But now seeing it through the lens view of love because love got the first dibs. She got to revisit those memories and say, this is where Jesus came in. This is what he had to say. This is where he got to say, I'm so sorry. And that's a a lot of the work here that I believe God wants to do is help rewriting our story. Because if we don't rewrite our story, we will recycle it. And we will continue to recreate it in every relationship, everywhere we go. And the only thing I wanted to add into there, I know we said high level come short form, is like Manda said, when people don't wake up, like, oh, I'm going to have an affair. Oh, I'm going to go look at porn. I would say that it happens days, weeks, months, if not years mm-hmm. beforehand. It's the Preach. seeds that were sown that eventually sprout up to like a little bit of a bud out of the soil. And then it becomes like a stalk. And then there's limbs. And then all of a sudden we're eating fruit one day, like four years later. And we want to say, oh, it's because of this one incident. But 
when we're talking about destiny, guys, there's, there's, let's make no mistake. Your destiny is the culmination of all of the decisions and defining actions that you make daily. For you and I, it's no different. We will reap what we sow. And it's exactly that. I love this. This yeah. is it's like you guys, so it's like we it like synced up before the show or something and we didn't because this just leads into This is our fifth try, right? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're getting it right in the fifth take, Matt. <laughs> no, but I just I love the nature of what the where the conversation's going because Amanda, you share very vulnerably in your most recent book about um a moment of being unfaithful to your husband and it was early on in your marriage, but you kept it hidden for months. So can you take us and give us a little glimpse on maybe the state of your soul? And then also, how did how did he eventually find out? What were the effects of that yeah. in your marriage? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's the part that I'm the least proud of, but I really don't carry shame anymore. So I'm happy to share about it because I hope it can help someone else where they're at. I When it happened is when all of a sudden I woke up to, it was that like rock bottom, how did I get here moment? And I couldn't believe I'd gotten there. And I think that happens to so many of us again, because we don't wake up one day and make a decision consciously to make a bad choice. So so in that moment, it's not like I, I mean, again, from an outsider's perspective, maybe it was really clear to see. And it was very clear to see when I retraced my steps in counseling. But when I hit that rock bottom moment, I was filled with shame. And I... I was terrified. I was terrified of what would happen if I ever got caught or if I ever told my husband. And so I did in that moment, probably what many people do or have done. And maybe someone listening is in this place currently. I hit it. I I just said, okay, I, I made a promise to myself. I was like, I'll never do that again, which famous last words. And so I tried to move on with my life. And honestly, Bianca, Matt, I, the only way to explain this is the Holy Spirit. I couldn't like day by day would go by and it would come up for me. It would come up in my thoughts. It would come up um, every interaction I would have. If someone like said, oh, Amanda, you're such a great friend or oh, Amanda, you're such a great neighbor. Or, oh, Amanda, anything positive. I couldn't receive it because in the back of my mind was this little voice that said, if only you knew, if only you knew. And that's why it's funny. But integrity is a prerequisite for security. You cannot be secure when you're not living with integrity. And so it's no wonder I was struggling. I was so insecure. I grew really depressed. Um, and that's where in, in my new book, Soul Care to Save Your Life, the first two chapters, I tell this journey of hitting that rock bottom, of making that mistake, and then living and hiding. I mean, gosh, we were meant to do life with each other and be in community. And when you live with a secret and you're so ashamed and you are scared that the world will stop spinning if anyone finds this out about you, it is terrifying. It is devastating. It's honestly really, really dark. And so I was very depressed. I actually ended up at a doctor's office. I was put on medication. And this is not to say that people don't need medication for their depression because clinically, absolutely, I believe in medication. I believe all of that. For me, I was diagnosed with what they call situational depression, except I wasn't telling anyone what the situation was. <laughs> so my poor husband and my poor friends who were like, man, she's depressed, those who even knew, because I was pretty good at keeping it hidden. I was pretty good at covering up the dark spots under my eyes and um, just making it seem like I was okay, but I was a mess on the inside. I began taking medication. Well, that didn't fix it. The thoughts were still coming up. And the Holy Spirit, it began this constant tug of war in my soul and in my heart that was like, come forward, come forward, come forward. Just get it off your chest. You'll be free of this thing. And I wish I could tell you that it was 
super pretty and I just came forward one day and well, I did, but, but I wish that it had been much sooner. What ended up happening was God sent someone in my life who became my mentor. She, I write about her openly in the book. Her name is Rocio. And I met her when I was working at a church, believe it or not. I was even, I even came on staff to a church I wasn't living in sin. I wasn't continuing to do this thing. Well, I guess if you call hiding a secret sin, then absolutely. But I wasn't actively having an affair. I wasn't continuing to repeat this. But I came on staff at a church and just told myself, like, that's in the past and and kind of like, can I just move on? But my mental health and the destruction of that decision was, was just causing havoc on my soul. And so... Rocio, God like sent her into my life and she became my mentor. And there were so many divine things about our relationship, but neither of us knew why, like it, it was so special. And then one day it all became clear. It became clear because the Holy Spirit basically told me I I had started having suicidal ideation. I started thinking like, I would just be better off dead. The depression got really, really bad because I just thought that what I had done was unforgivable and there was no way out of this. And I was going to lose my husband and, and, and all of these bad things were going to happen if I was to come forward. And the Holy Spirit, it was a tug of war. It was like, you are either going to leave this earth and I had a plan or you're going to come forward and you might, you might be better off dead. Like it was just the, it sounds crazy, Bianca, because I wasn't in a healthy place. My mind, I was almost in a manic state. So I just want to clarify if somebody's listening, they're like, that sounds crazy. It is crazy. But in that state of living in such a dark place, I really believed it. I really believed the world was better off without me because of a mistake that I made, which is so sad. And I'm not trying to diminish the mistake, but that is so sad. And so I meet with Rocio and I had this thought. She was like heaven sent in my life. And I I thought there is no woman that I admire more in her relationship with God than Rocio at that point in time. And I just said, Rocio, if I tell you something and, or I didn't say this to her, but I had this thought of if I tell her and she reacts the way I think she's going to, then I am better off dead. And if I tell her and she reacts the way that I hope she reacts, the way that God is telling me she's going to react, the Holy Spirit kept saying, just trust me. And I told her, I just got it off my chest. And the way she reacted was so beautiful. I don't remember the words that she said. What's that Maya Angelou quote? You won't remember, you know, people don't always remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel. And in that moment, I remember feeling hopeful, lighter, uh, forgiven. And, and it was this beautiful thing. Rocio did not, she held space for me. She created a safe space. She made sure that I wasn't going to act on my plan first and foremost to not be on this earth anymore. But then beyond that, she didn't make any promises. She didn't say there wouldn't be consequences. She didn't say that uh, my husband was going to stay with me. She just said, I am going to be with you as you make this confession. And I'm going to walk with you through the journey wherever it takes you. And that's obviously the most concise version, but I ran home. I'm talking, I got in my car so fast. I went home to my husband. I had like sweaty pits and tear stained eyes. And I walked into our apartment and I said, I've got to tell you something. And I, I don't even know how to say it. And I just told him. And you know what's so cool about all of this is that the first words out of my husband's mouth, it still makes me like so tender. I hate crying. I'm an Enneagram mate. I don't like crying. I don't like being vulnerable. The first words out of my husband's mouth were, but I still love you. The very first words when he could have said, I hate you or how dare you or like so many other things. Those are the first words out of his mouth. Mm. Now, that's beautiful and I'm so grateful. 
But I also don't want to romanticize confessing a hard thing like infidelity or porn or whatever the thing is. There were consequences. And and I Matt, you said it a different way, but I'll, I'll say it because I've heard this said before. We, I had to repair what I didn't want to repeat. And repairing those things takes time. It takes professional help. We were in counseling. We still go, actually. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it it was brutal. But confessing, I, I felt instant relief. Yeah. Even not knowing what was going to happen on the other side, even not knowing if he was going to stay or what was going to happen. And like, oh my gosh, when my in-laws find out and like, I still felt lighter. And it was in that moment I knew I was meant to live. I wasn't promised a happy ending, but I was promised a life worth living. Yeah. And I am so glad. I'm so glad I chose confession and I chose life. The freedom that you get to live in now because of the confession and open-hearted, open life living is beautiful. So Matt, for for you, your background, was pornography something that was like very like secretive and, and hidden in your life? And if it was, what... What did that do to your relationships? What did that do to your, not just friendships and relationships, but also like marriage as well? If it crept into that season of marriage, what did that look like for you? Yeah, really great question. You know, I don't know anyone yet. Tell me if you guys find somebody who like openly, you know, watches pornography in public places. No, it's always done generally in secrecy, right? When you feel like the most isolated, the most alone. So I'd say for me, I was pretty par for the course. I stopped looking at pornography in my in my teens. It's not something that I've ever brought into my marriage with me. I'm, I'm very grateful for that, uh, truly. I think exactly what Manda's saying. It's not because, oh, Matt's just blessed. No, it's like, I did, I did the, work. the work. I ate dirt yeah. <laughs> for years. Like, Side story, I dumped my wife three times while dating because I was so emotionally unavailable, mm. right? And by the third time, imagine that if you get dumped three times by someone that you really believe that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you're going to start questioning everything if you hadn't already the first two times. So I had to really put in my work and I was doing that work internally with coaches, counselors, therapists. So if there's something that people are getting from this, it's like, it's bigger than you and that's okay. Because if your pain happened in relationship, through mom and dad or brother and sister or some caregiver, the healing can generally only come back again in relationship. The reason why Amanda yeah. such felt a release is because it happened in the nature of relationship, right? So that's a that's a really big key there. But I would say the idea, this is where I think a lot of people get caught up, definitely myself. I l- believed with my whole heart that when I was watching porn, it wasn't affecting anybody else other than me. And that's where I think a lot of people get stuck is like, this is just on me. It's nobody else. It doesn't influence anybody else. It doesn't affect anybody else. And the only reason why we think that way is because we have such a low level of our own perceived worth and value that we do not understand the ripple effect, even that a pebble has in the water, in a still pond, anything getting thrown in there, even a feather is going to cause a rippling effect. And so where most of us are just attached to survival and trying not to be seen and known because it's scary, of course, fundamentally on a real level, we all want that. I would just hang out in my room or where the heck ever and just try to disappear. And that was a form that I used that through. Uh, definitely use porn as a form to try to disappear from other people. But fundamentally, like Matt had no worth. Matt had no value. Matt contributed nothing to the table. Matt's not really going anywhere in life. Relationship, no, not fat chance. I wasn't even seeking them out, although I definitely did find a ton of relationships where I would give myself away and 
feel just as empty or more empty afterwards because we thought it would fill the cup. And then we're like, dang, I got so many leaky holes everywhere. I didn't know that Jesus wanted to do some serious repair, but not just, you know, repairing that, but out with the old, in with the new and have you feel that at the bottom of your core. So I'd say, you know, at a high level, again, for any person who's struggling with it and feeling justified by the sense of it doesn't I'm not married I'm not in a relationship I could see Amanda like you're you're married you got a spouse like you know Matt you're married you got kids like now I could see why there'd be a problem but as a single person man like I, I don't see why this is an issue well it's an issue for a ton of reasons but the short format is this <laughs> if you are struggling with any of these cycles in your life and it, I think at this point we're clear, clear in the conversation it could be anything yeah it will be magnified when you get in closer proximity with people, it will never resolve. It will actually get worse. So a lot of the married clients that I work with, they're like, I thought it would go away when I was married. I'm like, but let me guess. It actually got worse because you saw yourself with a mirror in front of you, saw all of your own flaws, inadequacies, deepest wounds. And instead of getting intimate and vulnerable with somebody, you curb that. I don't know how to get intimate. See, porn isn't going to it for intimacy. It's because we have no idea how to have intimacy. And that's exactly why we use it, because we're basically showing our cards. So that's why I can have so much compassion, because I just read through the rhetoric. And I hope people in this conversation can, too. Like, I, if someone could take a big takeaway here, it's that we don't need to be so scared. We don't mm. need to be so dang afraid. You know, we only judge things that we're afraid of. And we're only afraid of things that we don't understand. So as Proverbs says, in all you're getting, get understanding. I think, Amanda, what you were saying there is... For you and your journey, it didn't, you know, maybe break the consequence. It didn't break the journey. But what it did do is create so much awareness and understanding of why you did the thing that you did, which is powerful. Totally. If you can understand why you are doing the things that you are doing, high level, anywhere, anybody, anything. If you're scaling a business and you're stuck, if you're in a church building and you're like, why are we not growing? Because any business is subject to the, the leadership of the leader. Any family that's not growing is subject to the leadership of the leaders. And you'll always see like that domino effect of people under your care. So for me, I have four sisters, I have a brother, but I didn't understand that. And I think as people understand, like we think there's no consequence for our actions. I'm like, ah, oh, you're sowing seeds, man. It's, it's just a matter of time. And then you're going to wonder why you're in a bind and it's not going to look favorably. Of course, that's how it always starts out, right? A seed sown. And, but there's always going to be fruit to eat. You're always going to, you know, you make your bed, you line it. You don't make your bed. You're still going to go to a bed that's not made. And we tend to kick the can down the road. But what we're really saying is I don't have the courage to deal with this right now. So I'm going to make my future self deal with this because I don't want to. And what happened for Amanda, again, not trying to put words in your mouth, is younger Amanda didn't know how to deal with all of that. So she's like, I'll deal with it when I'm married or hope that it maybe gets resolved. And, you know, sing kumbaya, like the love that I feel for my husband's how I take it in. And it's just a beautiful exchange. And then she's like, crap, I don't know how to deal with this. And so it escalates. And I'm like, it's all because we kick the can down the road rather than facing straight on or head on exactly what's coming up for us in any given moment, which is why I want to build a history in my life with tackling like the mess now, now, when a problem happens, I want to tackle the mess now, now, when I, if I get into an argument or a discussion where I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I didn't need to say that. I think trust isn't necessarily broken because of mistakes, but the lack of repairing a mistake, I think fundamentally with Amanda or myself, like the, mis the trust isn't fundamentally broken because Amanda made a mistake, but it would be the ongoing bend of her character as time passes that would say whether or not trust is going to be repaired in the relationship. Okay, yeah. so this is amazing. I, I love this. Yeah, yes. this is like a great pivot point. So we've laid out the problems. We've laid out the roots. We laid out the effects. But now I want to talk about the reality. Okay, I'm, yes, we're going to give resources at the end for people like that want uh, to go deeper and learn more. But 
The reality for you right now, Matt and Manda, is what happens when the urges come today? I mean, maybe you guys are like fully sanctified and it's not even an issue anymore, praise God. But like in our humanity, what do you do with the struggles, the urges, the thoughts, or the desires? So for Matt, previously with pornography, Manda, previously with affirmation and attention, but what do you what do you do with that now? So somebody who maybe is walking in a life that is, is trying to pull away from that, but then find themselves with uh, urges, desires, temptations, and thoughts, What's your encouragement, Matt? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I, I really love this. This gets me so, so, so excited, guys. Because <laughs> you're right. Like, we can do all the groundwork, but let's build this thing and see what we can show. So this is what I love more than anything. First of all, your needs were God-given, okay? Most of us believe in the devil's ability to deceive us far greater than God's ability to keep us in truth. And what I want to sh- share right here is that every single need that you have to be seen, known, wanted, loved, encouraged, admired, all those things. I have those too. I, I really do. This is feeding needs of mine right now of significance, of contribution, of growth, of connection, of some spontaneity from how my day was going. These are all God-given, okay? I need to point that out right now because the people who feel the most shame over where they're at is because they blame the desire. God changed the desire. God, get rid of that desire, The desire is never the issue. I would say the suppression of actually understanding that God gave you the desires is huge, but how we actually walk those desires out is everything. Meaning, Manda went, and I went, I went to porn. Let me use myself as an example. I don't want to keep saying, Manda, I see you in front of me, so I'm like, just trying to connect. (laughs) It's all good. Myself, it's like significance, connection, intimacy, okay? A real need met in an illegitimate way. A healthy need met in an unhealthy way. What I never realized is that I actually had a need. I would blame it on something like super, just kind of random. I would say like, oh, I just have a sex drive or, oh, it's just every man's battle or, oh, it's just a thing we all go through. And I'm like, if we really want to reduce ourselves as human beings, we can call it that. But if we want to call it for what it is, like accept the fact that you have a God-given need for something and that if we are not intentionally recreating kingdom culture inside us, we will unintentionally be discipled by the world around us. And right now, the world's crazy savage for so much sexual openness, right? Everywhere you go, you could go Hollywood, movies, there's always drinking, there's like alcohol, there's drugs, there's sex scenes. So that's a big product of culture. The only other thing I want to add in here, Amanda, I'm really curious your thoughts, is recognizing that if I want to go to porn, that has nothing to do with porn. It's about what it represents. It's about the representation thereof. So if you think of like a pie chart, guys, get this visual in your mind right now. Think of like a pie chart or a pie that could be cut up in like a hundred different ways. And you're like, man, why do I always go to this one slice of the pie over and over? It's because you don't actually understand that you have permission to eat the rest of the pie. So we limit ourselves. And so going to porn is one way of meeting a need. But again, it doesn't require the heart. It doesn't require vulnerability. It doesn't require honesty. It doesn't require authenticity. And so we'll keep going for the one slice of the pie, as you know, Proverbs likes to say, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And we'll always go for that one super moldy slice of the pie that should have just been put in the trash, but we keep eating that one slice over and over and over because we don't realize that we actually have permission to, first of all, have needs, have a voice, have God-given needs, and then learn the skill of how to meet them in a healthier way. So for me right now, let's just say I had a, a very monotonous day. I'm going to use an, ex- an example, a real life moment. So let's just say I, you know, had my day today. It was kind of boring, filled with some like meh meetings, not feeling on top of the world. But I know that adventure, you know, something to conquer, something to explore is within me. And, you know, let's just say I didn't have this beautiful podcast to do w- with you amazing ladies right now. Let's just say I didn't. 
okay? And if I did not want to become self-aware, right? If I didn't want to have Christ consciousness, not aware of the Holy Spirit in me, I would just say, hey, what's the next thing for me to do? And if I want to have that variety, I could go to porn. But because I'm so aware of the fact that God's put something in me to like grow, contribute, create, mm. I get these opportunities happening here in front of me. And if it, this podcast wasn't happening, I would say, hey, I got a, I got a legitimate need for some adventure right now. How can I get my adventure needs met right now instead of suppressing them, fulfill them? Most people end up finding the counterfeit because they are suppressing. And then they get cornered to that one moldy piece of the pie in the corner because they don't realize like that they actually have permission by God of the universe to have needs, access them in beautiful, healthy, creative ways that grow and evolve them and expand them. That's great. That's great, man. Yes, this is so good. I love the way you put a positive kind of frame on this in the sense that most people come at this conversation, I think, from a place of like, stop doing it. And that's like, that's the instruction is like, how do we get you to stop doing it? And I'm not saying you're totally redirecting, but you are basically saying, no, 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 it's okay. And actually really beautiful that you have these needs and desires from God. So I just love that. And, and was kind of like, yes, amen. Preach the whole time. Can I just say one reason why real, real fast? All right. Okay. Let's just use this example. I have two boys, you know, and for my oldest, if he's going to the stove and I say, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove. Guys, what's what, what's he going to do? Touch the hot stove. He's going to touch the yep. hot stove. Now, why? Is it because he's bad? He's a terrible little boy. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you would ever do something like that. No, it's because it's the only option that I put into his mind. Now, let's get very practical. If I were to say to you guys, hey, whatever you do, do not think of a giraffe. What did you guys think of? It's right the first now? thing I thought of. Yep. It was the only yep. thing we thought of, right? We definitely weren't thinking of like a Louis Vuitton luggage because <laughs> I didn't think of that to put into your mind. So in the same way, if we say don't do porn or don't watch porn or don't be bad, that our brain does not know how to process a negative. So we hear don't go to porn, stop watching it. And our subconscious mind goes, watch porn, go to porn. So it, I absolutely, in the same way I coach my toddler and I train my toddler in the way he should go about redirecting that energy. I'm like, I know you want to do something pretty wild right now, son. I have an idea. What if we do this? And instead of saying no, 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 which is reactionary based, I actually get to be in a place of response and direct his steps. So I say, why don't we do this? Why don't we go here? Instead of saying what people can't do all the yeah. time, man, like we're getting put in a corner and then we're just told what we can't do. And that's why I think we, we don't, no one wants religion anymore, yeah. right? Yes. We real. We want something vibrant. So I'm like, I could, if you, I were to sit with you, like we could do this a whole other time here, Bianca, Amanda, but I could literally come up with you on a list on my whiteboard beside me of like a hundred things that we could do other than go to porn. If you don't meet, you know, the wounding inside, of course, it's only going to just become behavioral modification. I think we're clear on that, but that's so, so important. So I actually am fully saying redirection. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So as we wrap up the podcast, Amanda, for those that feel like they resonate with the conversation at hand, because shame is the overarching conversation whether it's pieces and parts of your story or Matt's story, for somebody who's maybe feeling like shame and living in that, what's a word of encouragement that helped you? So you had your Rocio in um, Chicago, which by the way, the accents on this show today are hilarious to me. We got Chicago, we got Canada. <laughs> I mean, you guys, we are doing like the most, a boat, right? So we're doing the most, but you have um, Rocio who was there and she spoke words that gave life over you in a moment that you had a lot of shame. What are words that you want to give to those that are maybe in a similar situation? Maybe the details of their lives look a little bit different from you and a little bit different from Matt, but what would you speak over someone who is wanting to step out, but afraid to take their next step? Yeah, I love this. I would just say you are already good. 
you don't have to try to be good. You don't have to change to be good. You don't have to strive to be good. That you are already good because you are made in the image of God and God is good. And that when you live from that place and you really believe that and you really grasp that, you start living from that place, it's going to change everything. And I would just say one more thing, Bianca, that you you asked the question of like, you know, am I just miraculously healed from my struggles forever and ever? Or how does this work yeah. now? No, I'm not. That is still a struggle. But one thing my husband and I have done that's been a really... Um, really cool thing, I think, is that every Sunday night we ask each other three questions. And I'm only going to share one of those questions as it pertains to this conversation. And that is every Sunday night, we look each other in the eyes and we ask, is there anything weighing on your conscience that you want to tell me about? And Mm. we obviously went through something that led us to need that type of question prompt in our marriage. Uh, But I think it would be even better if instead of using that as a reactive thing, if people could start doing that in relationships with their spouse or with their friend or with a pastor or with whoever, um, now before something happens, it would probably spare them a lot of heartache. Because if we can start practicing being vulnerable and practicing confession, man, like I said, radical honesty leads to real healing. And so that is a time when I will often say to my husband, man, that, that guy today that we ran into that was really complimentary of me, I had that feeling again. And again, just by naming it out loud, it loses its power. And he, my husband receives that and is gracious. And it's the same safe space where he can say to me, Hey honey, I I was on Instagram and the explore page showed me this girl. And then I clicked on it. And I just want to confess to you that I kind of went down a rabbit trail of looking at some images I shouldn't have. And I can respond, but I'm telling you that in those conversations, when we confess or we make a mistake and then confess, I love that you said earlier, it doesn't break trust. No, it actually breeds intimacy and rebuilds trust as we repair and we are willing to be seen fully and bring everything into the light. So I would just encourage that person, you are already loved and bring it to the light. I love this. For those that want more information and even free resources, Matt has given us and the podcast listeners. Um, he gave us a code for the Father's House OC, but this code, I asked him if we can still use this code for the podcast and he has so generously said yes. But if you go to ditchporn.com, you can get a course that's evaluated for $399 absolutely for free by using the code T-F-H-O-C, as well as Amanda's books, which is Soul Care to Save Your Life. The link to the Amazon link where you can go and buy the book immediately will be on the show notes. But I just want to say, Amanda, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for vulnerability. Thank you for your honesty. Matt, thank you for your story. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your truth that's bringing freedom to so many. I appreciate you guys for being on the show and can't wait to see people's lives be changed. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Friends, thank you for your time and your concern on this topic. My hope is that it doesn't stop here. Will you consider sharing this podcast with your friends, your families, your loved ones? My heart is that we live without shame and in true freedom in whatever form that may take in our lives. And it starts with an honest evaluation of where we are, how we are, and what needs to change. Thank you for trusting me and listening to the podcast. I can't wait for another episode next week. Don't forget to leave a positive review if you haven't already and subscribe on Access More or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm sure you already know this by now, but I love to celebrate. I love to gather people. I love for people to encounter the presence of God and have fun in the midst. Now, if you've been around here for a moment, you might know that I am passionate about our local church, the Father's House Orange County, and we are hosting for the very first time 
our very first women's conference. We have amazing guest speakers like Lisa Bevere, Hosanna Wong, I'll be there, and a couple other people that are going to gather together, and we want people to breathe. In fact, the theme of our gathering, the theme of our conference is breathe, girl, because we have been running at the speed of life, and many of us have lost our breath. This is your invitation to be part of this in a digital sense. If you want to register for this conference, you can buy a digital pass and join us live on Saturday, September 17th. The beautiful part about this is that if you cannot be there live on the 17th, all assets will be mailed to you within the first week of the conference. You can go ahead and click the link in the show notes and register to save your online spot.